I started cooking that food and this is what I said, something changed in me. And I felt like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it should be the food that I'm cooking, you know, maybe, maybe like all these things that I grew up with and start doing. And we did the first menu in Noor and uh, it was a complete mishmash of North African, Lebanese, Israeli, Syrian and everything. It was amazing for us. We, we had a lot of recognition and, and he did what he did and um, it was an amazing start. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've spoken on many occasions how the attraction and beauty of working in the hospitality sector is the ability to travel and work abroad. And although the pandemic halted any thoughts of that for many, there have been some that have managed to find a flight and take on new opportunities in new countries. Roy Nur is the chef and co-owner of Jeru in London, England. Roy, how are you? Hey, I'm very well. I'm very well. Roy, you've uh, only just recently left Sydney to get to London uh, for this new gig. What was it like uh, leaving Sydney and landing in London during a pandemic? Um, listen, I, I actually got very lucky. I left Sydney a week after the lockdown started, the latest lockdown. Um, the trip over was very weird because there's only like two, three flights out of Sydney's airport. So the airports are completely empty. And then when uh, you get into Singapore to do a layover, it's like army status. So they, they treat you, they, it's, it's, it's full on how they do the checks. But then after we got to London, uh, again, sometimes it's luck. I got into English summer, blue skies. Everybody told me that London is cold and, and, and raining. And I come into blue skies and hot weather and people are walking with T-shirt. And I was like, well, I guess parties in London at the moment. <laughs> What was it? What is it like compared to the environment that you've been in in Australia for this period of time? Um, we're all in lockdown in, for vast majority of Australia at the moment. How different is it in London right now? Oh, it's completely different. Um, London is vibe. London is what Sydney was a year ago when you know when we came back from lockdown. They were in lockdown here for almost a year on and off, and they just came out. Um, they're not taking as much, um, I don't know if you know London. London used to have close to 40 million people coming in a year. So essentially close to a million people coming into the city every single year, uh, every single week. And they don't have that now, but they have the Londoners. And the city is like Sydney was before. It was vibing. The restaurants are full. Uh, Wednesday onwards, all the restaurants are full. They're not booked out like before for months ahead, but they are booked out a week ahead, all the all the good restaurants. Um, the people are out and about, there is no mask. The only mask happening is in tube or crowded places. People are actually put in it, but there's no law against it. Um, people are vaccinated. People just get on with life now. Like they, they used to have a ping over here, meaning the, your phone is essentially working as a Bluetooth um, transmitter to the government. So if somebody next to you in radius of three meters, essentially your phone will essentially your phone will ping and you'll have to let in isolation. Um, but now they've cancelled that because um, me, I had double vaccination. Essentially, if you got a, if you got a double vaccination, you're a free man. Wow. Um, 
what what does it feel like being in that environment after what you've gone through in Australia in the last year? For me, it was like pure luck. I've, I, I've been here for five and a half weeks. Um, I think I ate in over 25 restaurants. Wow. I'm right. I, I literally ate my body weight here and I, like I'm out every day almost in two restaurants of this. And I, in the start, I used to upload. Now I don't upload because my friends just send me nasty. The start, it was fun. I always having fun in London. But then after that, it's just like, man, stop sending photos because we, now we're like, we, we're getting angry. Like, you know, <laughs> start getting aggressive. 25 restaurants is a lot to do in a couple of weeks. Why so many? What's the urgency for you to explore these restaurants? Uh, essentially, it's getting a good feel of, uh, of of the vibe of the city, of where they push in, where, where should we do what. Like, I've got a, a very clear identity of what I'm doing as a chef, but you always um, need to really, really feel. And for me, the best way of feeling it is is connect with the people and connect with the food. That's the way we, this way I communicate with the world. So I go and really, really observe. Um, I was supposed to be in London a year ago and you didn't do a little bit of a trip and get a real good feel um, of what we're doing, but I couldn't because of this pandemic. So I came in and it's a, it's a crash course. I'd love to explore more of what you're going to be doing there at Jeru, but take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Um, big. So my mom heritage is Moroccan, and my dad heritage is Greek, uh, believe it or not. So it's a big combination. I'm born in Israel. Israel is an immigrant country. It's a young country, 60, 60 years old, 16 a bit. Uh, essentially, after World War II, everybody got on boats and, and met in Israel. So that's why you got a lot of mixed marriages and, and stuff like that. But w- what I like about it, it, now it's generation three and four in that country. And it create a very, very agriculture style uh, people. And that's obviously translated to food. So for me, Essentially, growing up, I was I was very very connected to my mom's side of the family, which is Moroccan, North African, essentially. So um, the way the way my grandma I used to connect with food. My mom wasn't when when she was younger, she wasn't uh, the, the the cook. She was very focused, driven. She's a school principal and whatnot and whatever. But she wasn't she wasn't really connected to. The food as much later in the age now she's an excellent cook but when i grew up it was really my grandma was the dominant thing and the way she brought people together was um was food and in the plentiful like you won't go into a house and it'll be less than 15 things on the table and and she will make it look very easy very quick and I wasn't really connected, like I wasn't, when I grew up, the first instinct wasn't to be a chef very shortly after it was, but um, I think, I think through, through my cooking, you know, you know, when you strip all the onion and the end of the Santa call and people ask me, how do I want to, how do I see hospitality? How do I feel I should translate that? And without even understanding what happened to me in a kid, that's how I celebrate food now, so if you come into my house, there won't be less than 10, 15 things on the table. There won't just, there won't be. That's how we do it. And 
in a sense, that's what we're trying to create in a restaurant, that warm feel environment when, you know, it's like, you know, let's talk about something else. Well, food is great. There's hips on the table and let's just enjoy the day kind of thing. And that attitude is what we're trying to essentially translate in the restaurants now as a professional chef. Is there is there any dish or feast that you can uh, tell us about that you remember from your youth? Yeah, so listen, growing up in the community that I grew up, you come together in weekends and holidays. And there is four major holidays in a year, which is one is Rosh Hashanah, which is the start of the year. Um, you got Passover, which is around Easter. Um, then you got Shavuot, which is the cheese and wine. And... Um, and you got Hanukkah, which is around Christmas time. And for us, the, the Passover and Rosh Hashanah is the two big feasts of the year. And Rosh Hashanah is, is when I was really, really to me because um, North African, which is my heritage, essentially celebrate that holiday um, like crazy people. If on a normal day, they'll have 15 dishes. On Rosh Hashanah, there will be a table very long. There will be like four tables basically joining together, just full. And everything is different. Everything will be in this. And they use everything. Like when talking, everything is like when you buy a bunch of beetroot, you don't throw the leaf. The leaf's going to one mesa and then the beetroot goes to another mesa. And they use everything. And and we don't eat with fork and knife. It's all about get the bread in it and get the juices and, and, and really get into it. Um and and I think I think that was that was my favorite one of my favorite moments as a kid. When did you start to get interested in food professionally and realize that chefing was for you? Um, it wasn't too. I was I was twenty. I was twenty one, and I had um, I went into a catering job as a barman in the start, and I was running a bar, and then the food was always kind of glancing to me. And I started I started working in the kitchen and I really got hink, hooked into it. Um in the start it was it was more of the logistics side and then the status side and all of that, but very shortly after I met I met a chef and that chef was all about flavor and feel like you know what I mean, it was all about like really connecting to the produce and and I think through that I start exploring and and exploring this one and 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 very quickly I fell in love in it. Um, I absolutely fell in love in it. And and when I do something, I want to do it. I want to do it in the best. So I used to go. I was twenty two. I used to go. I worked as a job, but then I used to work and work for free in all the top restaurants in in Tel Aviv. I used to knock on people's door, really like trying to essentially absorb as much knowledge as I could back then um, and, and really absorb everything. And it wasn't, it wasn't about money or, or work for this. It was just about, you know, if that's what I want to do in life, I really want to get a hold of it. And I, I was a driven young boy. And then, uh, and then, yeah, from there, I decided I want to, it doesn't matter what I do, I want to take it to the best school. Back then it was Cordon Blue. Um, did that for a little bit. Uh, basically, came into Australia. I was supposed to go to France and America. I've got family there, um, and and yeah, I was supposed to go there. And then somebody said, "Well, why would you go to Australia and just have fun while you're doing study?" And you know, they tell like, go and surf and this. 
and and it sounds good and i just came in i was i was 23 almost 24 i came in and i did and you know what i went to school school wasn't for me i was like what am i doing here uh, it, it was and it was complete like you know i already had experienced this like what am i doing here and and but very shortly my i, I still remember my teacher went and he said you want to do a day in a restaurant and um I said, yeah, why not? I'll do it in a restaurant. And I didn't know where he sent me. And he told me you should go to number one Macquarie Street. Uh, and I said, what is this? This is a restaurant. So me, full-blown Israeli, coming into essentially Aria. We're talking 2006. They just finished the renovation. Back then, it was the big bad wolf. And like, you know what I mean? It was still throwing pens in the wall kind of style kitchen back then. And I'm walking in with a rip shirt and, and flip-flops into the kitchen and, like, you know, heavy Israeli accent is like, hey, guys, I'm here. Well, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and it was uh, it was pretty funny. And um, I walked in very, very quickly. I got the lay of the land. Uh, um, I had a lot of fun there. I stayed there for six and a half years. I... Um, I got along. They really looked after us. Back then, it was the only restaurant, and, and it, there was, like, amazing people, and it was the only restaurant. So they really looked at it like as a family, and they, all the major partners and everybody was still there, and they really – it was it was real family feel. And, and time got passed, and, and I, I didn't even think. Like, before I knew it, six years passed, and I was like, oh, shit, like, you know, we need to work out what we're doing here. What did you take away from your time at Aria and working with uh, Matt Moran? Um, man, a lot. Like, you know, it's a busy system, but it's also moving volume. Um, it gets the best products in the world and, and how you systemize and how you use it. And essentially, uh, spend spend a lot of time and work ethics as well. Um, how to treat... Uh, Hospitality back then was different to hospitality. Now we worked 70 hours every single week, and that was normal. Um, now you can't, you don't work more than 45, 50 hours. It's, that, that was that was a normal. Um, it, it was different. We were driven. We were driven for for the brand, the restaurant, and uh, the real 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 teamwork. Like the people that we have over there that share the history with us. It's you know what I mean. They're, they're very close friends and. Essentially, after that, fell in love with an Australian lady, and and then, and I was again. I was people asking me, "What are you doing? Well, what what are you gonna do? Are you gonna go to your family in America? I'm gonna go back." I was asked to represent the Israeli national team in Sheffin, uh, and a couple of things, and I was like, "I I just I just needed a bit of a break, to be honest with you, because Harry had this." So I took a little gig. In Darlinghurst, just just so I get my head straight, like worked thirty hours a week, like half a job kind of thing, and, and I was there for a couple of months. And friends of mine were like, "Roy, what are you doing? Like, can you just come into my uh, my restaurant and help me with the menu while while you're getting what you're doing? Just 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 come in. People that know me, it was like this. So I did, and before I knew it, I, I ran five restaurants or menus for five restaurants. And I was like, I wasn't expected. And then, and then, um, then I met Danny, Danny Russo, 
And we, like my friends basically introduced me to me and I said, guys, you're kind of doing the same thing. Do you guys want to start together? And we looked at each other and it's like, no chance in hell we're working together. This guy is a fucking nutcase. <laughs> um, but then we had a couple of Negronis and then, and then we got along. And um, then we started a certain journey uh, with Danny and he's actually amazing. I worked with him for four and a half years. Um, we did quite a bit. We did... We did together over 15 restaurants, um, and it was it was it was quite a good thing because I saw the industry from a different point of view because you get to see it from an operator side and not just from the chef point of side and from the whole things because the people that you work with is essentially the people that, that like the owner of the hotels, the owner of the restaurant, the owner of this, and when you work at it in multiples of what we used to do. Um, took on pub groups we used to do the Irish pub groups they have 13 venues so in one point I was controlling not right it is but I was controlling the menus and movement and logistics of more than 20 venues and I was like you know it was really getting me going I, I, and I loved it it was a good learning curve for me uh, for long term and essentially after that um, I met a young guy that said oh I want to do a Lebanese restaurant um, in 2016 and he said, uh, I want to do a Lebanese restaurant. I said, man, listen, uh, back then there was nothing, 2016. There was uh, Gerard Bistro in, in Brisbane that did an amazing job. And there was Maha in Melbourne, but that was it. Like, there was nothing. And they were like, come and do a Lebanese restaurant. I said, man, I don't defy halloumi and chop tabula. Leave me alone. Like, you know, it's like I'm not... That's not what I do, man. Just leave it. And he's like, no, dude, let's have fun. I was like, man, it was beyond me. But then he was Ibi. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe we should do it. And let's do it, but let's do it different and da-da-da-da-da. And I kind of joined the start. I was I was a consulting chef. And, but then we kind of clicked in, me and Ibi. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it's, I started cooking that food. And this is what I said, something changed in me. And I felt like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it should be the food that I'm cooking, you know, maybe, maybe like all these things that I grew up with and start doing. And we did the first menu in Noor and it wasn't Lebanese at all. Uh, it was a complete mishmash of North African, Lebanese, Israeli, Syrian and everything. But everybody called it Lebanese because there was not this and... It was amazing for us. We we had a lot of recognition, and and he did what he did, and um, it was an amazing start. Uh, but back then, I was still I was still a little bit in and out, and then then I decided something. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I was invited in, um, to cook in America with Tartin Bakery, and with the head chef of the French Laundry. They've been there, the head chef for twelve years, and. I was invited to China and doing all this stuff. And people are like, without even understanding, we created a certain a movement. Uh, something just kind of grew. And I started being invited everywhere in the world. And people paying me flight tickets. And I'm going everywhere in the world sharing that food. <laughs> and Can you give us an example of uh, the food that you were creating at Noir? Um, it was a, a mix of Middle Eastern, but you're also putting a modern spin on things. Was there is there a dish or two that you, you can tell us about that exemplifies the success of that restaurant? Um, yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah. 
there was a dish on the first menu. Only I don't like. I've been in Newark for four years, but I was really, really cooking there on the first two menus. That's when I was there, like really in the kitchen five days a week, driving this thing and driving the team and doing all of that. And we had one fish called fish sayadea, which is essentially fish fish sayadea is rice, fish, and tahini. Um, and we're like, man, it's like we want to keep on tradition, but how how we bring in, how are we going to bring this thing? And we did... We did um, cuttlefish rice with seven spice and, and lamb fat. And when I say lamb fat, uh, I mean Leah. Leah. Leah is the tail of the lamb. It comes from about four types of lamb. So it's if if, if people Google sheep uh, fat tail, you will see it. So certain sheep actually um, got a two kilo tail. A normal a normal um, lamb tail will look like a pork tail which is like nice and thin and, and whatnot but they certain breed in the sheep they actually have a two kilo tail and that thing it's basically the foie gras of the middle east it's it's um the every time you go into a good barbecue place in turkey or you go into the middle east and there is a charcoal smell that comes you can't put your head of what it is essentially it's that fat and we call it leah um, and, and we did that with that and he gave the rice and people didn't know what it is. So the, the rice was tasting amazing. It was Lebanese seven spice, essentially cuttlefish and, and that fat. And then we did tahini, but we caramelize tahini. You can do either in water, water and, and, and lemon, or you can do with yogurt. But what we've done, we caramelized the yogurt overnight. Um, so it goes a bit sweeter and mix that with a good um, good chardonnay vinegar and that yogurt into the tahini, which is, if you look at traditional, it's like it's not really tradition. So it's little nuances. Then we put the fish on top. It was a beautiful snapper, which we covered with um, squid ink. And we had a, um, a almonds and saffron cracker. And you know what? It's a humble fish and rice, but... I can tell you it was full of flavor. The fish was this, and it had crunch. You had acid from the tahini. You had a thing. So this is a good example how a humble fish and rice can be. Something a little bit more without breaking out the identity of what the dish is. How did uh, Jeru come about uh, with the UK? I know you've been waiting a year to get over there, but how did how did it all come to fruition? Essentially, after that, no, like I told you, I joined. I joined after the design was done, and after this, and the identity was formed. And I was doing the food uh, a lot more in the start, and a lot less in, in later. But I was doing the food. But um, and and I love the boys, and I love the journey, and and what it gave me, and and what it is. Um, essentially, I wanted to create my space from scratch, and I had it's like it's like in, in actor, and you want to make a movie. <laughs> it was like I had this movie that I want to create. I wanted to do it, and I had a lot of people that believe in what I do. They wanted to share that journey with me, and they wanted to do it. And uh, it took me a while. Um, I was for about a year meeting people and and traveling the world and 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 eating amazing restaurant. I was in New York. I was in California. I was I was everywhere. I was invited to California to do um, food hall concept with Tartin Bakery and team from Otium. Um, basically, we did the, the food court for the LFC. 
for the uh, LA uh, this, and I was there in California for six months, just meeting people. And and whatever happened, I was actually gonna land a restaurant in LA. Um, but I told the guys, Americans, that I don't want to do it. I don't want to work for them. I want to do it as a partner. So I'm gonna come to Australia, find a partner, and come back to them, and and go go basically fifty fifty, which we did. And I came with um, Bradley Michael from Seagrass. Um, and we started the journey and Bradley does take houses and he's amazing. He's got 54 restaurants. He's like, he's like a godfather of the hospitality, a real, um, a real leader, um, Stalin. He's got 1700 people working for him, real like family corporate, it's corporate, but it's family corporate and, and amazing, amazing leadership skill. And they don't really do what we're about to do. Usually they've done it with six and a couple of other things. And, and he looked at me and he goes like, Ray, I've done restaurants my whole life. I'm essentially Lebanese. He's a Lebanese South African, but I never did Middle Eastern yet. And I would like you and me to do it. Um, and the start, we were like, you know, getting back and forward. And then we decided we're going to do it. And uh, we went to L.A. and I said, you know what, first one is on me. Then the boys are here in L.A. I've got everything lined up. Come in and we'll do it. And something told him, it was actually him, and said, you know what, something doesn't feel right. Uh, I think we should miss it. I said, okay, uh, why? Like, we have everything. He goes, like, I think we should miss it. And, and I don't know, a, a voice inside of me uh, trusted him. Um, so we did. After I spent a lot of time in LA, I was going to go. And two weeks after we said we're not going to do it, LA went into lockdown. I got lucky with these lockdowns. Yes. Crazy. And he invited, he's got a private island in Fiji. He invited me to his private island in Fiji and said, all right, what are we doing? And um, I wasn't sure. He invited all of his head of his company. And, and it's a big company, 1,700 employees. Um, he invited all his head of his company and the chefs, and we did this big cook-off in Fiji and his, in his island, and I was like, well, what are we doing? And he goes, what do you think about London? And I said, I don't know. I don't know London. <laughs> he goes, what do you think about Mayfair? I said, May I don't know Mayfair, but it doesn't matter. What we do now, it's like we got a movie. It doesn't matter where you play. It's going to be good. Um, and And then he said, listen, I've got the perfect site. We can uh, we partner up with the landlord. We can do what we need to do, and I think it's great stuff for you. And I said, listen, I, I I don't know, and that's how the site came about. And in the start, I was very doubtful, and I start talking to people of where our sites we. And again, I got very lucky. We in eleven Barclay Street here in Mayfair, which is exactly halfway um, through the basically between the Ritz and Barclay Square which is the main street of London dining scene, essentially. For for that, like, it's like it's like prime location on George Street in Sydney. Um, and, and we have a 570-square restaurant site on two levels. Um, and we're like, all right, we bought it from Sushi Samba. Over here is... Um, they, 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 they're a big group. It's a Zuma group. They're very busy. We took the site off them. And a week after we took the site, we have an offer to basically to buy off the site from us. And we could have made a lot of money just by walking away. 
and we all we all looked at each other and he said what are we doing are we doing it is it about money or we actually want to do it and every one of us looked at each other and said you know what we want to do it. it's not about money <laughs> we actually want to do it and we want to do it very well and from there the road just kind of paved himself up everybody were like it's like a band on the same tune you know what i mean well this is your chance to create a restaurant from the ground up tell tell us what your vision is for Jero and what you'll be doing there uh, we, we wow so for me like hospitality i grew i grew up in a family i told you it's all about the food so um we had a 70 square meter that in the start we could only have the license for 500 inside and I wanted, I wanted to ask me, what do you want to do with a, with a 70? Do you want to do a bar? I said, you know what? Every place in the world's got a bar. I, I, I don't want to be, look, we'll have a bar, but what do you want to do? I said, big part of our cuisine is bread and, and, and how we're doing bread. And I said, I also want to, uh, Jeru essentially, it's an old city in an ancient Semic language. Ancient Semic is the time before the Arab nation became a nation, before the Jewish nation became a nation, before the Christianity became Christianity. There was a city over there on a mountain with a river, um, and then something happened there. Something happened to to create such a vibe that became back then the center of the world. And I think that message is what we're trying to do in Jerusalem. It's not about... I look at the Middle East like... Um, a region as opposed to Lebanon as a country and Israel as a country or Jordan. I look at them as, as regions and me using things from every region to create one wholesome menu. And I think that's what Jeru is all about. That's the message. Um, and what we're doing is like I started and I decided that I want to do a bakery and a wine bar at the front, which is very non, non-Mayfair thing. Mayfair is you come Friday night, Saturday night, all the restaurants – Essentially, got DJ and vibe and like you know and full and full blown doorman at the front and none of them got this and I wanted to capture that what I feel is a Sydney style hospitality when you're coming in in a place like you know in Erskineville or or in one of my favorite restaurants in Sydney in Uber when it's like it's warm hospitality you're coming in and it's not about just bars and and drinks and. And, and high tops and, and, and ladies about, you know, we start with bread. I put um, a whole sheep and goat cheese program at the front. I started working on all my goat, lamb and beef salumi charcuterie program. So there's no pork. And that's what you get. So the idea is you're coming in, you have a glass of natural wine, you have a bit of salumi. It's like almost like you're going in Barcelona and you have a, a bucaria when you go in and you have a little bite and then you leave. And everybody that walks in the venue have to go to that space. And then and then when you open that when you go through that door, there's a little door. So it's like the the, the, the city is behind the bakery. So start with a little bit of old school. You know? Start with a little bit of soul as opposed to just a normal bar. Um and then when you walk in the restaurant it's 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 quite it's quite beautiful. So it's seventy seats on the top floor, uh, with a full blown open kitchen. Um, no boundaries. I've got dried freezers for meat. I've got dried freezers for fish. I've got a whole miso program fridges going in there in different fridges. I've got a wine room. I've got I've got private dining room. We we you say we say it. We have it. It's it's crazy. 
Well, after the long build-up to finally get to where you are, how's it going to feel when you open the doors on a restaurant you've built from the ground up? Man, for me, it'd be it'd be, it'd be a pinnacle point. Essentially, it's my it's the first time so I get to show the world what what, what I'm sharing my art. It's my first signature on on a painting at the bottom. From that, I've done a lot in my life, and I created a lot of commercial success to a lot of people. But I really feel like it's the first time in my life when I I really sign on my painting in the bottom and I stand behind firm behind it and and being vulnerable for for people to to let them feel in their opinion what what do they think about that? Well, it sounds amazing, Roy, and I'm uh, we're very uh, honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story and um, and hear of the opening up over there as well and a society getting back to normal. Um, please keep in touch. Good luck with the restaurant and uh, we'll talk again soon. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.